Well, we are blessed this morning. So glad to see you all here. So glad to have everybody who's joining online this morning. Impact City fam, we are in for a treat this morning. We have a special guest speaker. James Land's going to be bringing us a word that we believe is ordained from the Lord, and we're excited to hear. He's been ministering and reaching people in the Dominican for the past nine years, and he is here to minister to our hearts this morning through what God has given him to speak. So if we can give an Impact City family welcome to, to James Land. Amen. Good morning. You can go ahead and take your seat. Praise God. Well, it's an honor to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. I have my wife here on the front row with me, Brenda, our youngest son, Obadiah. He's uh, almost 14 months and as good looking as his dad and as smart as his mom. Hallelujah. At the, I say good looking like me because he is and smart like his mom because she married me, right? So, we also have three other children who aren't with us today. Leilani is our oldest. She's 11 years old. Our son, our oldest son, Gideon, he's eight. And then the one we call Chiquis, the little one. She's almost five at the end of this month, and her name is Hadassah. And uh, she's the one that has daddy right there out of all of them. So, we're, we're excited to be here. But is, uh, is John, uh, John, Jonathan, right? No, Joey, Joey, perdon, sorry. Just getting used to everybody's name. So as Joey said a while ago, we've been in the Dominican Republic for the last nine years. And um, so this weekend, we were invited to come down. And, and my mom said, I haven't been a grandma for nine years. You can leave. I raised you, but I get to keep my babies. So that's why they're not here with us today. But uh, thank you for being here. And as Joey said, and as we just mentioned, so we've been in the Dominican Republic for the last nine years. So it is very possible. I just start speaking in Spanish and don't even realize it. If I do that, somebody just raise your hand and say, hey, simmer down, big boy. I get caught up in the spirit and start speaking the, the language of heaven, and, and I got to get brought back to earth where we speak English, right? That was a joke. I'm sorry. Tough crowd. Anywho. So this morning, and you know what, before I start, I know when I was coming in and, and I was meeting a few of you, some of y'all saw me carrying my tablet, and as y'all noticed, I have butterflies on my tablet, and they're kind of thinking, what's going on there? Funny story that I want to tell, just to get it out of the way, clear the elephant in the room on that one, is my tablet was starting to die. So I said, hey, let me buy a new tablet. I get online, I order a tablet, they were on sale that day, so I said, let me get a couple tablets for my older children who are doing school. So I got them a tablet, and then my little, my little precious Hadassah, you know, the one that has me right there, she comes in the room and she says, Daddy, do I get a tablet? And I said, no, sweetie. I said, you don't need a tablet. That's for school. You don't need a tablet. She goes, I need a tablet. I need to watch Jelly Telly, and I need to watch uh, VeggieTales. And I said, no, honey, you don't need a tablet. She says, yeah, and then finally I had the great idea. I said, hey, how about you and I share a tablet? She said, yay, I have a tablet. So here we are several months later. I'm a 38-year-old man sharing, getting to use my four-year-old daughter's tablet, and she's the one who got to pick the cover. Amen? So there we have it. That's the story of that. Well, let's start off this morning praying. Father God, 
I just thank you for this day, Father God. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, Father God, in your presence, Father God, with your people. Lord, I just thank you, Father God, because it's not a coincidence we're here. It's, it's not by, by some aligning of the stars that, Father God, you've allowed every person to be here and the people connected online. This is a divine appointment today, and we thank you for that. Lord, I love you. I bless you. I pray, Father God, that you use me this morning, Father God, in the words that you've given me to minister to hearts, Father God, and change eternities and destinies. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want to start off by reading a parable that, uh, that we're all familiar with. And I know the media team's going to be like, oh my gosh, let me tell you guys, last night the Lord was speaking to me. I had to mix some things up, so let's just go with it. Amen. Let's flow. But I'm going to start off reading a parable this morning that, uh, that we're all familiar with. If, if you've been in church more than two weeks, you've heard about it. And, um, but I want us to all get on the same page. And, and it's a lot to read, but I want you to bear with me this morning. Amen. How many of you came to church this morning? Amen. How many of you brought your Bibles this morning? All right. If you didn't, we need to check your, your Christian card, right? Get out your cell phone. Get your Bible, wherever it's at right now. Let's read. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Now, today I'm going to be reading out of the, the New Living Translation. For those of you who don't know, that's a translation that the Apostle Paul preached out of. And uh, we're going to read out of Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And that was a joke, by the way, in case you didn't catch it. And it says, this is the story about the, the prodigal son or the lost son. We've all heard that, right? Have you heard that story before? All right. If not, I, I can call a couple of you up here to help me out. We'll act it out. But we all know that, right? So it says, in verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, so Jesus has been illustrating a point, right? That's what he spent the first 10 verses illustrating here. And he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, in my house, if I told my mama that, you know what my mama would say, right? She would slap me and said, boy, you'll get it when I'm ready for you to get it, all right? Anybody have mamas like that? Anybody a mama like that? God bless y'all. So, verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Now, you talk about some bad luck. This kid was probably born stupid because of the way he talked to his, his dad there. And then he gets all the money, and he goes to foreign land, and as soon as the money runs out, a big famine hits. That's just bad luck, ain't it? So, and it says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now, I have pigs. We have pigs up at where I, where I live up in Gainesville, about six hours away from here. Uh, our family has a farm up there. And we raise pigs. And there ain't nothing them pigs are eating that looks good. So it's got to be pretty bad, this situation. All right? 
Verse 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough, have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't a bad kid. Uh, I was a curious kid. That's what I tell my mom whenever she says I was bad. I said, I wasn't a bad kid, mama. I was curious. And I got into all kinds of trouble. And whenever I got into trouble, I came up with some pretty inventive ways to get out of trouble. You know what I mean? You, you come up with a story. I remember one time, <clears throat> my brother and I got in an argument. And, uh, and then, you know, we're brothers. You know, a little spit and spat get, gets turned into a little push and shove. And, and before you know it, my brother's got this knife. Now, he wasn't going to kill me. He was just going to cut me. That's it. It wasn't, you know. So I went, and I went to the kitchen, and I grabbed the first thing I could. And it was one of them big, long spatulas they use for, for grilling, you know, hamburgers. And it's all metal, and then it's got that wooden handle. And he's got that knife, and he's swinging it, and I'm taking that spatula, and, man, I'm, I'm going at it. And all of a sudden, I go, Wah! And when I went like that, that spatula came out of that wooden handle. And if you didn't know it, I want to let you know, that thing, the flat part of a spatula will go into someone's leg if it's swung hard enough. So my brother, he got cut there. Man, it took, it was that quick. We were both hugging and loving each other. I'm sorry, you know, crying. Now, I, did, I could care less whether he was hurt. I was crying because I knew what was coming. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so I tell my brother, I say, hey, what are we going to tell mama? I said, because if you tell mama I did that, I'm going to tell you had a knife, Right? And he starts crying because he knows what's going to happen if he tells mama, if mama finds out he had a knife. Well, long story short, we came up with some stupid, crazy explanation. My mom believed it. And it wasn't until 20 years later when my brother, we were at his wedding. We were sitting down at the table, and we were, we were laughing. We go, oh, you remember that time? And my mom goes, what time? You know? So when you get in trouble and you do something dumb, you can come up with some pretty amazing explanations, right? And, and, and. Man, we, we spent the whole afternoon thinking up what we were going to tell Mama. And here, I'm just wondering, man, how long was this guy thinking, what, I'm, what am I going to tell Daddy when I get home? How am I going to do this? You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Your wife's going to say, I know you've been there. So where were we? He returned home. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Man, he did better than I did. I couldn't have done that. Verse 22 says, But his father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandal for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. He mu- we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Amen. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, Hey, man, what's going on around here? Verse 27, Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Now, I can identify with the younger brother because this is exactly how my older brother would have responded. Any of y'all got that older brother? I know nobody here is like that older brother, right? Verse 28 says, The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He was sitting outside mad and pouting. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Is that how y'all remember that story? That's how I remember it. That's how it's written in the Bible right there. And we've always heard this story from the perception of the prodigal son, what, what's going on with him. But today I want to look at it slightly different. So if you're taking notes today, the title of today's message is The Prodigal Father. The Prodigal Father. You know, oftentimes when we look at this, this parable, we're, we're quick to point out the negative uh, elements and actions of the son. And, and, and then we, we, we say, oh, he was a bad guy. And then we point out, but you know what? He had a conversion. He had a change of heart. And, and we associate his actions with the word prodigal. Does anybody here know what the word prodigal means? If we look it up in the dictionary, and if you don't, don't feel bad because I didn't until the Lord began to speak to me on this. And I went and looked it up because I said, well, the prodigal son, that's cool. What's that mean? Actually... This is a side note. I'm not going to charge it for this one. But actually, the, the name, the lost son of the prodigal son, wasn't even named that until about 200 years ago. It was just another story in the Bible. Some scholars got together. They were doing some commentaries, and they go, hey, that's the prodigal son. So if we look up the definition of the word prodigal, we're quickly going to learn and we're qu- quickly going to see that the, the son was not the only person in the story that's a prodigal. He wasn't the only prodigal. Merriam-Webster defines prodigal as the following. Prodigal, a prodigal is someone who is profuse or, or, or wasteful in their expenditure. It means they just burn through money. Now, I don't want anybody to raise, raise their hand, but men, how many of you have a wife that's a prodigal? Ladies? When it comes to decorating that man cave, how many of y'all have a man that's a prodigal? I I didn't see that. We didn't see that. My wife would say, I'm a little bit of a prodigal, and especially when it comes to spoiling my kids or or her or something like that. So a prodigal is someone who, who, who does things lavishly, in excess, right? 
The second definition is a reckless spendthrift. And, and I think if, if we look in, in, in these definitions, they, they coincide with the story, with the concept of the son being a prodigal. He wasted his money. He, was a, he, he blew through it really quick. We don't know how long it was. You know, but the Bible says pretty soon he was out of money. And, and it, you know, it wasn't like when I was a kid and my granddaddy said, here, here's 50 cents, so you got some Coke money this week. Well, I'd go down, and that Coke cost 50 cents for one Coke. I mean, it was gone that quick. This guy had a bunch of money. And the Bible says he went through it really quick. So he was a prodigal. He was wasteful. He was lavish. I imagine he had some crazy parties that he invited all his friends to and that they had an awesome time. But if we keep reading in Merriam-Webster and we, 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 we go a little bit further down the definition list, there's another definition for the word prodigal. And it's, it's, the, it's the following. It says, someone who is yielding abund, abundantly or someone who gives profusely. Someone who gives profusely. And that's the definition I want to focus on today. Because the, of the son, you know what? We got that. We can identify with the son. Man, when I was, before I became a Christian, I was a pretty dang good sinner. So was he. I just heard him laugh. I go, he, he, he identifies. I was pretty lavish in it. I didn't hold back. I had fun. I enjoyed life. But as Christians, as human beings, we have a hard time understanding how our father can be a prodigal towards us. And we are byproducts of our parents. We're a reflection of our parents. Are we not? One way or another, maybe not everything, but man, they, they, they left their fingerprints. They had them to sway us. And, and, and so there's something that that son, we look at him, and, and through millennia, we, we have cursed him, basically, by saying you're a prodigal when he was a reflection of his father. Let's go ahead and look into this a little bit more, because I know some of you are thinking, oh, all right, let's see. The father was just as much a prodigal as the son was. I, honestly, I would dare say he was more of a prodigal because that's where the son learned it from. But the difference was the father had experience. The father had wisdom. The father had mercy. And above all, the father had love, something that the son had not yet learned about. How many of you have been on a journey before, on your journey of life? And you look back, and, man, I, I'm, I'm still a young pup. So my granddad says, I'm 38. But I look back to when I was 20, and I thank the good Lord that I'm not the same person I was. What's the difference? Back then, I lacked wisdom, lacked mercy, lacked love, lacked experience. I hope when I'm 58, I look back and I say, man, that James didn't know much of anything. You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, okay. I, I need some help this morning. If not, well, I'm just going to talk to the people online, and y'all can, every time you connect with me, you donate five more dollars. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. An interesting element of the story of the prodigal son is, is the father's festive 
It's his love in that festivity he did at the homecoming of a returning son, a lost son that returns home. This is a crazy, awesome element. He, this son had squandered everything, squandered. You know what squandered means? It means squandered in the Greek. It means it, it's gone. It's no more. He wasted it. I mean, he didn't even invest it in a bad business. He wasted it in a foreign country. He brought shame upon this family. And that's, for, that's a sermon for another day. But by requesting his inheritance early, he brought shame upon the family. And the reaction of the father is just amazing. And there's something we need to look at here because what, what happens is the, the action and the, the reaction and the experience and the overwhelming joy and love that flows out of that father, it, it, it gives a rich meaning to the word mercy. Amen? This parable expresses the essence of mercy in a truly lavish or prodigal way. This is what it does. It begins by, by, by saying, by, in a simple way, this parable begins by saying, a man had two sons. And after asking his father for his share of the estate, the younger son travels to a distant land, squandering all his property in loose and empty living. When a famine strikes that country, uh, he experiences dark days of exile and hunger. He begins to feel humiliation and shame. And then he begins to have nostalgia for being home. Because, man, I miss my house. I miss the smell of that bread. Oh, man. That cook, that little old lady, she could cook so good. I'm waking up to that in the morning. You with me? And so then he begins to imagine all the words he will say. He says, man, when I get back to see daddy, I mean, I, I, I hope he'll still love me. But I, I, if he'll just accept me, I'll be happy. If he'll just say, you know what, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to let you come in and work like a slave. He goes, I'm going to be happy with that. And the father's welcome his son is the heart of this parable. This is what Jesus is telling us. There, there, there's probably several lections, uh, uh, lecciones? I can't remember. Lessons. How you can, you can get out of this parable. And we always hear about how the repentance is what this parable is about. And, and it is. But the heart of this parable is the father's heart towards his son. We can't just skip over this process of the son's conversion experience. It's a journey that happens so often to each of us before we seek reconciliation. It happens to each of us before we seek reconciliation. Now I know the majority of you in here are saints and never, ever, well, I'm, we're talking about people down the road, the church down the road. Y'all have never had the need to endure a journey of reconciliation. But you know what? We can't overlook that because it happens so, it's, it's hard to seek forgiveness. It's hard. I'm married. I know it's hard. I 
Yeah, babe, I know you're right. What was that? I said, you're right. I'm sorry, could you say that in Spanish? I don't speak Spanish, okay, woman? You were right. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Seeking forgiveness is hard. Why? Because it cost us. You have to say, I was wrong. I'm not right. It humbles us. And being humbled isn't exactly the most comfortable feeling in the world, right? So we got to go, go back home when we've been away to seek the mercy of someone else. And you know what? We struggle with that even with God. In our mind, man, in our mind, we're good Christians. Jesus loves me. He died on the cross for me. God is love. Hallelujah. We sang about it five times in church today. But when it comes to walking this out, we say, God is love. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. I'm the worst person ever. You know, just let me, just let me come and sit in the back row. You know, I just, just, just say you'll love me. You don't even have to do it. Just say you'll love me, and I'll be okay with that, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? The journey home is often full of difficulties. There's an author, and I'm probably going to slaughter his name here. I believe it's French. It would be Henri Nguyen, or Henry Nguyen, as we say in Texas. And he asked, why did the son leave in the first place? In leaving his inheritance in, with in, in leaving with his inheritance in hand, the son rejected all the values of his heritage, everything that his father represented. You could say that he even wished his father was dead. A few years back, um, our family went through a transition, and we were home from the mission field visit, and we, we'd try to come home once a year. Normally, we'd, we, we, we get to do that. When we're home, they're supposed to be vacation, but we're always traveling churches and what have you. And uh, this year, we made it a point, we're going to be at Mama's house for a couple weeks. Because we're only home for about four or five weeks anyways. And that year, our family had been through a huge transition. You know, my grandma died a few years back. My granddaddy, um, you know, he, he was going into a nursing home. They're dividing up everything. And, and, and so my mom and her brothers went through this terrible transition, you know, where it was like, well, I never got anything, you know. You already got your inheritance, and, and it, was, it, was, it was tough. Everybody still loves each other today. Praise God. We're still family. But it was, it was a very, it was a time full of a lot of tension. So a few years back when we were home, my mama set us down. There's a, the, me and two of my sisters, there's five of us, but me and my, two of my sisters, she said, hey, I want to go ahead and do this now. That way when I die, y'all aren't fighting about the money. And, and, and so what happened? One of my sisters said, well, mama, I want. And the other sister said, mama, I want. And I said, well, if everybody else is claiming, I want to claim too, right? But mama gave us our inheritance. My mom's young. My mom's, I'm 38. She's 58. My mama's still, she's young. And I ain't hoping she dies anytime soon. Although she might want to kill me half the time, but that's another story. And when my mom, she's like, here's your inheritance, and she gave us some land. I've never had land before. I mean, now, now 
in, in society, in the history of humanity, now I'm somebody. I have land. It might not be a lot, but I have some land. Right? And it was the weirdest feeling ever. Because I'm supposed to get that when my mama dies. Not now. And it's weird. And then the other day we were, we were home and I was sitting down talking to my dad. And, you know, a few years ago when they gave us that money, it was worth, or gave us that, that land, it was worth so much money. And let me tell you, this is how my family loves me. They gave me the piece of land that's furthest away. And mama said, you're getting that one because I know out of all my kids, you're the one that's going to sell it first. She knows me. So we were sitting down, and I did. I said, well, how much is that land worth when she gave it to me? She said, oh, about this much. Well, today, it's almost just a few years later, because it's growing up there, it's worth almost three times as much. We were sitting out shooting the breeze, and I tell my dad, I said, man, I ought to put me a tiny little house, one of them little tiny houses up there, and that land will be worth five times as much. I'll sell it, and then I can buy another, I can buy that 50 acres that joins up to y'all's property. My dad says, son, you can't ever sell that land as long as I'm alive. I go, it's my land. He goes, maybe your land on paper, but it ain't your land yet. Inheritance happens when mom and daddy's gone. Because if you try to do something beforehand, it stifles the relationship a little bit. And we see that's what happened. This son, had, he's basically saying, dad, I don't care what you think. As far as I'm concerned, you can die. And I'm sure that all of us at some point in our life have had a similar experience with our parents. I know over the last nine years we've counseled, counseled a lot of people. And I know a lot of teenagers who have said something very similar to their parents. Or at least they told their pastor about it, hoping I would tell their parents. And Henry Nguyen, he continues saying, he says, I am a prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I'm a prodigal son when I leave home every time I lose faith in the voice that calls me beloved. And I follow the voices that offer a great variety of ways to win the love that I so much desire. You see, being a prodigal doesn't necessarily mean that that we, we have to go off and enjoy the company of prostitutes and the debauchery of wine all night long. That's not what it means. It means I'm simply following a voice that calls me in a different direction from the Lord's. And I'm not talking about big life, you know, what should I do? I'm talking about I'm a dad. I love for my kids, every morning, we wake up, and the kids, you know, my wife and I, we're there in bed, and we're just, you know, gossiping about something, you know, our dreams or whatever. And then surely one of the kids will wake up, and then another one will wake up. And we've got all four of our kids in our bed, and we got, we got a, a queen-size bed. It ain't made for six people. But we all get in there. And it's good just spending time with my kids. You know what? God wants to spend time with us. And every now and then, my 11-year-old, she thinks she's getting too big for this. And so she'll stay in her bed, and she'll be reading her babysitter's club or whatever. Going, I don't know. 
I got to say, Leilani, what are you doing? I'm reading. You better get in here and get some time with me. That's what we got to do. God calls us into that. Is that the angels? Hallelujah. I got eight minutes. Is that right? Yeah? Okay. I'm going to have to hurry. So at a certain point in this parable, the son comes to senses, and we can see how, how much more is taking place. place. There, there, there is, it's way much more than just a compassionate gesture towards a wayward child. The great event unfolding here is the end of a great rebellion. The father gave his son freedom to leave, but when the son comes to senses, he returns home knowing how good his father is, even to the hired hands. He is welcome with outstretched arms. Beloved, Jesus is telling us in Luke 15, the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like. He, he, this is the third and last story in Luke 15. There's 10 verses before that. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he gives three parables about things being lost and then found. A sheep, a coin, and a son. And I believe this parable is not as much about repentance as it is about reminding us that no matter how prodigal we can be in our rebellion and run away from God, he is more prodigal in his love and mercy towards us. Amen. The Father is always looking for you with outstretched arms to receive you back and whisper in your ear, you're my beloved. My favor rests upon you. This is true each and every day. Just imagine for a moment you're there in that homecoming. Now, I've got a great imagination. I can entertain myself. But just imagine you're there. The father's sitting under a tree and just, just out there pondering and, and, and maybe just praying to the Lord. Saying, Father... My son, where is he in this world? Be with him. And then all of a sudden he sees, he sees his son coming. Imagine yourself there. And the Bible says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And then the son says in his well-rehearsed lines, he said, Father... I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Note that the father takes the initiative. The father took the initiative. He didn't wait for the son to come. See, no, he went running. The father has not forgotten his son. He has kept unchanged his affection and his esteem for his son. And he has always wanted him to return. He reveals no anger or disappointment. Quite the opposite. He calls for a celebration. Amen. In addition to his actions, the depth of the father's feelings are found in his words. When the father said, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Even though his son squandered everything. The son's humanity has been saved by his father's prodigal and lavish love 
The Father is the human face of mercy. Amen? What's crazy? This is amazing. Crazy. Mercy is a restorative power. When you and I have an encounter with mercy, we are being restored. Amen? The prodigal son is restored to new life by the loving embrace and celebratory joy of his father. The parable so clearly demonstrates that mercy is the restorative power of God revealed in the father's initiative of love and welcome to his son. And the prodigal, the prodigal son begins to, to see and experience himself as loved by his father. He begins to identify with that love. Before he was just, in his mind, he was the same as a hired hand. He said, my dad takes care of the hired hands. He buys them clothes, gives them a place to stay, gives them food. Does the same for me. I'm no different. But here he begins to experience this amazing conversion, this encounter with love and mercy. Not because the father didn't love him before, but because the son was unable to accept it. And because of the journey he's been on, his heart is now open to receive this mercy and be empowered. God's love and compassion is described by Jesus in this parable. Not simply showing how God feels about us or, or, or how willing he is to forgive our sins and offer us new life, which is amazing, beautiful, that, that's a huge part of the story. Amen? But here God is showing us, and this is what I really feel is the heart of this story. God is showing us he is a prodigal. He is a prodigal. And in his immense lavish love, he is inviting us to crawl up on his lap and to know him not just as God, but as a prodigal father. You know, whenever we were invited to come down, okay, Lord, we'll go. I didn't know what we were going to cheer on. I didn't know. And last Sunday is, is I was in church there in Dallas. We, we go to a church there. The Lord spoke the words, the prodigal father, to my heart. And I said, this, this is, a, this is a, a topic, it's a theme that, that, that is profound in my life. It's impacted me. A lot because I'm adopted in the natural. My, my, my mom is my mom, but my stepdad, the guy who raised me, he adopted me. And we were finally able to do it when I was 21 years old. And I understand what it is to not have an identity and to have one. And I know the difference it made in my life. And I know the difference it makes in all of our lives. So when the Lord said, the prodigal father, I go, man, that's a phenomenal message. But, but that's a message that's, I'm, I mean, it's not the first time you go speak somewhere you share this message. But I really feel like there's something here that y'all need to know God is a prodigal father. And there's, I get in trouble a lot with my mama and when I preach. And so I'm just going to say I'm sorry if I'm going wrong here. But I would honestly say, God's not as worried about your Christian activities, how you serve, where you serve. Those are important things. God wants to run up and hug your neck. 
He wants you to realize that you are loved. When I was, I was a little bitty kid, five, six years old, my mom and my grandma, we were going, they were going to court with my biological father, and there was all kinds of fighting and stuff going on. And my daddy, you know, the guy who raised me, my dad, we were out fishing one day. And he knew I was sad. And he said, James, what's wrong, son? I said, my mama and my grandma want me to hate my daddy. But it's my daddy. And he hugged me. He put me on his lap. He pulled me close. He said, son, that's your daddy. You don't ever have to hate him. And I said, but how can I love you if I love him? And he said, son, you'll always be my son, even if you don't ever have my last name. Something changed in me that day. And here I am, 30 some odd years later. And my dad's my best friend. My wife gets jealous. I see a big, beautiful moon, full moon. My dad loves that. I see, I say, hey, I got to call my dad. My mom says, or my, my wife says, you're supposed to be calling me about the moon. He transformed me. He gave me an identity that I'm loved. And it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what hell has come against me. What storm has brewed up or that I myself have made. Above all, I'm a son. And my daddy loves me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to be here and share a message, a, a, a theme that is just so transformative in my life and that I believe is your heartbeat above all things, Father. Father, this morning I pray for broken hearts. I pray for dreams that have been dashed and crushed. I pray, Father God, that regardless of sin we have committed or maybe sins that have been committed against us, I pray for healing freedom and liberty that only come through the experience of your transforming lavish love, Father God. And I pray for empowerment over these people, your people. I truly believe this parable is more about you than us and speaks more to your awesomeness than our own inconsistencies and inabilities, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray you minister to us this morning and set us free to walk in all Father has ordained over our lives. In the name of Jesus.